Hey, it's Pastor Mike. A really small step that could be a really big blessing to our ministry and to the kingdom of God is you taking just a second to rate and review this podcast. You probably know how algorithms work. More people get to hear about this podcast and most importantly, hear about Jesus when you do. So thanks for helping us out and may God bless you today. You are the answer to someone's prayer. Did you know that? It's true. You are, I truly believe, you are the answer to someone's prayer for help, for encouragement, for hope. You just don't realize it yet. Samson was God's answer. The Israelites were praying to God, Lord, help us. We need deliverance. We need help. We need certainty. And this baby of Samson was God's answer to the prayers of the Israelite people. Samson didn't realize it either. And the reason why is he wasn't even born. You see, for about 40 years, the Israelite nation had been conquered by this neighboring people called the Philistines. And this is in the time before Israelites had kings. King Saul, King David, King Solomon, it goes on from there. But God sent, before that time, judges. Just regular people, believers, that God rose up to deliver the Israelite nation. And probably the most famous one of all these judges written about in the book of Judges is a man by the name of Samson. Famous because of his like superhuman, massive strength that Samson had. And truth be told, Samson needed that strength to get rid of this Philistine nation. And so what God did is he came down, he appeared to, he spoke to Samson's parents. The dad's name was Manoah and to uh, uh, Manoah's wife. And, and he said this, we're in Judges chapter 13, and God says this to Manoah's wife, you are sterile and childless. The two of them have been yearning for a child, also praying to God for a child to come, and God answered that. You are going to conceive and have a son. I'm going to jump forward a little bit. He, the son, will begin the deliverance of, the Is uh, the deliverance of Israel from the hands of the Philistines. In other words, Samson was the answer to their prayers for help and hope and deliverance. God busted through eternity, busted through the atmosphere, busted through all the pain that was there to come to her, to give her that message. Now, you don't need God to do the same for you. You don't have to have God leave heaven, come down to earth, and appear to you directly to tell you that you are chosen, that you are special to God. God's word already declares it. In the book of Romans, God says that you're predestined and that you're chosen, you're justified, meaning you've been made one and connected and forgiven and with the Lord. And then God says, because you're with me, I've, I've purposed you. I've purposed you to be a blessing to others. In fact, he gives us that specific truth here in the book of Ephesians. He says, for we... Those who are believers and connected to God, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. In other words, you are the answer to someone's prayer for help, for hope, for deliverance. Those good works that God prepared in advance for you to do. Now, I don't want you to think that this has to be this monumental, huge thing for it to count. 
I don't want you to think that you have to donate thousands and thousands of dollars for it to count or donate hundreds and hundreds of hours for it to count because truth be told, that's not sustainable. But God loves the little things. God loves the little acts of kindness that are there, like an unexpected compliment that you give to another person. Remember there's one time my, my wife and I are walking through the mall and my wife noticed this, this other lady walked by and she loved the shirt that she had on. She thought it was great. And she commented to me, my wife Debbie said, that's a great shirt. Like, man, I wish I had something like that. That's really cool. And I said, you should, you should tell her that. Like, that'd make her day. And Debbie said, you're right. And so we paused our conversation. Debbie ran after this, this other gal, stopped her, complimented her on her shirt. And you could see how that just lit up that lady's day. The little things matter. A, a kind compliment that you give to someone, uh, getting a candy bar or coffee and, and giving it to, to someone, seeing someone who's uh, being bullied and you, you step in and you step up for them. You see someone sitting alone in the cafeteria and you go be the one to sit with them and befriend them. Those little things add up in big ways. Friends, if you ever want proof that little things matter, well, first you can look at how God gave this baby known as Samson to the Israelites to, to deliver them. That little gift of a child did something pretty big. But that same thing has been given for you. That you and I had prayers to God, we need help, we need hope, we need, we need deliverance. And God answered in, in something small. God answered in the arms of Mary this baby Jesus that was given so that you and I could be freed and, and forgiven. And all those little things Jesus did perfectly so that you and I have his perfection. And God created you then to, to go and to, to give that good in his name to others. Now, I get it, a, a candy bar, a compliment, a, a kind gesture, isn't, it's not gonna change someone's eternity. Only the gospel does that. But when that person knows you're doing that because of Christ, in the name of Christ, the Holy Spirit can do some remarkable things. So this is how I want to end this first devotion. It's with a question. Who is it? Who is it that God is going to have you bless next? So how particular are you about your hair? Are you a bedhead, all day long type of person? Are you the person who can wake up, go in the bathroom, look yourself in the mirror and go, eh, good enough, and then just walk outside and present yourself to the world? Are you kind of the opposite of that, that you have a pre-assigned place for every single hair and they have to be in that exact spot before you could even fathom showing yourself to others? There's kind of two different philosophies on this. Maybe I could ask the question a different way. Maybe I could say or ask the question, how much money do you typically spend on a haircut? Well, Samson in the Bible, Samson in the book of Judges spent exactly zero dollars on haircuts his entire life. He got one haircut and he didn't even pay for it. Now, why? Why didn't Samson get his haircut basically throughout his entire life? Well, Samson was God's answer to the prayers of the Israelite nation. They needed deliverance from the Philistine people. And so 
In the previous devotion, I showed you how God spoke to Samson's parents, gave them the great news. Even though they were childless, they were finally going to have a child. But then I skipped over a couple of words, a couple of special instructions. And we're going to talk about that in this video devotion. So here we are, Judges chapter 13. God is talking to Samson's parents, says, you're going to have a kid, and says this. Now, see to it, speaking to Samson's mom, see to it that you drink no wine or other fermented drink and that you do not eat anything unclean. If you don't know what that means, in the Old Testament, God had some animals that the Israelites could eat. They were called clean animals. And other animals that were considered unclean, like pigs. Not because of how they actually lived, but God called them unclean animals. You can't eat them. Samson's mom, you can't eat that while Samson's in the womb. And because you will conceive and give birth to a son, and the son's special. No razor, God said, may be used on his head. So these are the instructions that God gives to, to Samson's mom. First of all, there's something a little special here. God is putting Samson under this lifelong, it's called a Nazarite vow. Can't cut your hair, can't eat the unclean meat, you can't drink wine. It's, it's a Nazarite vow. And God says you got to do this your entire life. And God goes, this even starts before you're born. God is showing us here that even in the womb, God sees that as being life. He's giving these instructions to, to Samson's mom. Follow these all the way through. So Samson's entire life, he's being faithful. So Samson then is born and he can't eat pig. He can't eat bacon. I love bacon. <laughs> do, do you love bacon? I once had a pound of bacon on a stick at the South Florida Fair. It was as great as it sounds. Uh, Samson couldn't have a nice glass of Merlot or, or Chardonnay. He couldn't ever cut his hair. That Nazarite vow. By the way, there's another time in the Bible where another believer was on the, a Nazarite vow. If you remember, this is Paul, Pastor Paul in the New Testament, that missionary. His Nazarite vow was for a short time. That's normally how they were. But for Samson, it was his whole life. You aren't under a Nazarite vow. You don't have to grow your hair out past your ankles. You don't have to be a, a real-life Rapunzel. You can eat a pulled uh, pork sandwich, which are delicious. You're not under a Nazarite vow, but you are under demands, commands from God. Buckle yourself in. Are you ready for this? This is what God says are the demands he has for you as a believer. John chapter 14, God says this, Jesus is talking. He says, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. If he loves me, he's, he's going to obey all of these words, everything that's in here. God says, if you love me, you will obey me. Don't, don't treat my Bible as if it's like a all-you-can-eat and all-you-want-to-eat buffet. Those are wonderful, by the way. But if you've gone, you you know what it's like. You get a plate and you, you put on your plate everything that you like. And then you're like, well, I should put some veggies on and look good to, to other people. And then you're like, ah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to skip the rest. And God goes, that's not how I want you as a believer to, to treat my word. God goes, everything goes on. Not that you and I should go to his word and go, well, I'll put on my plate that God loves me and he forgives me and he cherishes me and he'll give me heaven. And then, well... I'll pick a couple of laws that I'm already doing anyway, and then I'll just, I'll skip the rest. And God goes, no, if you love me, 
you obey me. What laws of God are you just not obeying? What clear commands from Christ in scripture are you saying, that one's, that one's just too tough, and that one I just straight up don't like, and so I'm just not going to do it. Where, where are you struggling? Where are you sinning? And where are you failing? And, and God goes, I don't want you to shrug your shoulders and go, eh, good enough. God goes, you got to be perfect. If you love me, you, you obey me. Samson's this incredible person in the Bible with these extra restrictions on him, and yet he faithfully worked to follow them of not cutting his hair and, and following the rules of this, this Nazarite vow. And he would have loved to not do that. I'm certain. I'm sure that hot Middle East climate, he would have loved to have cut his hair because long hair is hot <laughs> and it's heavy. Um, just ask Shai Chu Payne. She has the world record for the longest hair. 18 feet, five inches long. And, and she stopped cutting her hair when she turned 13. Samson never cut his hair. You ever vision Samson with hair that's like 10 to 15 feet long? Why? Because he honored God and he followed what, what God said. Now, you and I haven't done that perfectly. We can't do that perfectly. And so God the Father sent Jesus, your perfect Savior. Because our first parents, Adam and Eve, they failed, they, they sinned. You and I, we fail, we sin. And so our perfect brother, Jesus, came into this world and all the laws of God's word, he knew he had to faithfully follow because Jesus knew it was on the line. Our eternity and his placement in heaven too. You ever thought about that? The, the colossal risk, so to speak, that Jesus took in, in coming here and in, in clothing himself in human flesh to be tempted. And if Jesus was tempted, that means he had the ability to sin. His eternity of where he was could have changed. But Jesus remained perfect and gave you that perfection. If he loves you that much, don't you know he'll forgive you as much as you need? Friends, a lot of times we feel like failures because God has placed rules in front of us and we sin and we have, but he says, when you come to me and say, please forgive me, he does. Know that Jesus cherishes you, he loves you, and he's completely, forever, forgiven you. Do you like riddles? I hope you do, because that is how I'm gonna start off this devotion today. I got two riddles for you. I think one's maybe doable, one's difficult, pretty hard. So here we go, let's try this. What do an island and the letter T have in common? If you want more time, you can pause the video for a second, but I'm gonna repeat it right now. Here we go. What do an island and the letter T have in common? Clearly, the answer is they're both in the middle of water, which makes sense, right? Literally, an island is the middle of water. That's what makes an island an island, and the letter T is in the middle of the word water. All right, that one was the easier one. Maybe that makes you nervous about this next one. I think at least this one's difficult. Here we go. Let's try another one. The more you take of them, the more you leave behind. The more you take of them, the more you leave behind. Do you have an answer? 
The answer is footsteps. All right, that makes sense too, right? The more you take of them, the more then you're gonna leave behind. Riddles are hard. They're pretty difficult. Now, we found out by reading the book of Judges, the Philistine people, they didn't like riddles that much either. They're hard. Samson, when he got married, he married a Philistine woman. And at his like wedding celebration, he thought he would have a little bit of fun. And he threw out a riddle to the Philistine guys that were there and challenged them and said, if you can figure this out, I'll give you 30 sets of clothes. And then he gave him a riddle. All right, let's, let's see how you do. Here's the riddle that Samson gave in Judges chapter 14 to the Philistines. See if you can figure it out. Out of the eater, something to eat. Out of the strong, something sweet. You got it? I'm going to tell you right now, I never would have gotten this. Um, Just reading this through, it, it makes sense. Maybe you've read this through and you know what the answer is. The The something sweet here is honey, and it's honey eaten out of the the belly of a dead lion, out of the eater, something to eat. I'm guessing you didn't get that. The the Philistines had no clue. And time was about to run out on this riddle challenge that was there, and so they got really agitated, and they went to Samson's new bride and basically threatened her, uh, strong-armed her, and said, you got to get us the answer from Samson. Samson told her, she told the Philistines, and they conquered Samson's riddle. Now, Samson gets so mad at them that they cheated and, and used his wife, he got revenge. Samson went out and he killed 30 Philistines and then gave their clothes over to pay off his debt. Well, the Philistines weren't too excited about this, and so they got revenge uh, because Samson got revenge, and they went and that basically took Samson's wife away from him and gave her in marriage to another Philistine guy. When Samson hears about this, finds out what they did, he gets revenge based on the revenge that they got off of his original revenge. And Samson goes out and he captures 300 foxes, which is pretty remarkable by itself. He ties their, their tails together and then puts a torch there lights the torch on fire and releases these 150 pairs of tail-flaming foxes out into the fields all around with the Philistines and just torches their crops. Well, then they get mad, of course, of the revenge that Samson got based on their original revenge because he had revenge. I think I got that right. And so then they got their revenge and they grabbed Samson's once wife, now given into marriage to another man, and they burned her alive along with her dad. Samson hears about this, about the revenge that they got based on all this other revenge. I'm not even going to try. And Samson gets even more revenge, and he goes out. He encounters this group of Philistines. He has the jawbone of a donkey, and the Bible tells us he killed a thousand Philistine men. Now, what do we learn from all this? Well, first of all, Samson, although he's this chosen by God person to deliver the Israelite nation, he's not without sin. And revenge is just that. Revenge is sin. Well, we also learn that revenge just never makes things better. 
Samson thought it would. He hoped it would. He got his revenge to try to even things out. But revenge just never works. Revenge, it, it doesn't satisfy. And the reason why is because that original hurt is still there. Revenge never satisfies. It only, it only multiplies. It multiplies hate and it multiplies hurt. And hurt people hurt people. They, they hurt people in revenge. Who hurt you? Who is it in your life that just went after you and they seem to have no remorse over it? Who hurt you? Who, who slandered your name? Who dirtied your name? And then in response, what we do, well, well they'll dirty your name back and we gossip about them to, to someone else. Who, who hurt you? Who, who physically attacked you and you attack them back? Hurt people hurt people. And, and revenge, that revenge, and you know this, it never satisfies, it never fixes anything. And so God gives some special instructions to us and says, just don't fall into revenge. It just, it never works. He specifically says this in the book of Romans. God says, do not repay evil for evil. You're just going to get more evil. <laughs> You're going to get bigger evil. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to, to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. When I read this passage, it made me think of this story that had kind of been suppressed in my memory from when I was in college. I remember playing just some pickup basketball in college and just out there having fun with the guys. And I'm underneath the basketball hoop about to get a rebound. And this guy in the other team, an upperclassman way bigger than me, just trucks me, just blindsides me and smacks me down to the ground. I got like whiplash as I went down and hit the court really hard. He's kind of laughing about it. And my instant reaction was, I'm going to come up swinging. Like, I was mad. That was a cheap shot. And thank you, Lord. This is not for me. Thank you, Lord, that he stopped me from doing that. One, the guy's a lot bigger than me. And two, that one to helped. And, and so God put something in me. Instead, I jumped to my feet and laughed it off. Went, Man, that was a good hit. Whoa. And just ran down the court. Didn't engage with them. And the other guy was so blown away by it. He never messed with me again. And actually, we became friends. Evil was overcome with good. Friends, it's exactly what Jesus did for you. When Christ Jesus came down to this world, the, the devil threw every evil at Christ he possibly could. Every terrible thing against him he possibly could. Every evil temptation against Jesus he possibly could. And what did Jesus do? How did Christ overcome that evil? Not with revenge. He overcame evil with good, with his life of perfection, a gift then that Jesus gives to you. So friends, the world is going to attack you with evil. Don't overcome or try to overcome that evil with evil. Overcome evil with the good of Jesus. Give your hurt over to Christ. Give your sense of want of revenge over to Christ and be forgiven. Friends, if hurt people hurt people, the opposite is also true. Forgiven people forgive. How do you end revenge? Go to Jesus, get forgiveness, and overcome evil with good.
Have you ever seen a video depicting Samson in the Bible? In every religious cartoon I've seen of Samson, if it's a live action, like humans are there depicting Samson, even in every like coloring sheet I've ever seen for a kid that shows Samson, there, there's one truth that I see across everything. And it's simply this, Samson's huge. Like in every single time you see him depicted or shown, he's a massive mountain of a man like a head taller than everyone else. He's got this just huge chest, like a mountain that's there. His, his arms, well, I can't really do it, but his arms are just uh, colossal. His legs are like tree trunks. Is that how you envision Samson from the Bible? I don't. And it's not just because I wanna try to feel better about my um, sleek physique. It's because of reading scripture. Actually, I didn't really think about it much beforehand, just had the depictions I'd seen of him. So I always thought he was huge until I read scripture preparing for these devotions. Again, I encourage you now, I've encouraged you in other videos that I've done, when you read the Bible, read slowly, ask questions. Why did they say this? What was the motivation behind that? What's going on? So let's get into this here and I'll, I'll show you why I don't think Samson was this massive, massive, huge man. Here we are, Judges chapter 16. Uh, Samson had been besting the Philistines for like 20 years. And they're trying to figure out how to get back at this guy, how to, how to get him out of there. And they go, well, wait a second, we can use the woman in his life, the love interests in his life by the name of Delilah. Now, they're not married. We're never told that they're married. They sadly seem to be romantically involved, even though they weren't married. And they, they go to Delilah, the Philistine leaders, and they say this. They say, See if you can lure him, Samson, lure him into showing you the secret of his great strength. And I read that and I thought, well, if Samson is this mountain of a man, if he's like six foot seven, like 285 pounds of solid muscle, then there's no secret. He's just huge, right? But if Samson is the, the small guy and Jewish people back then were, were, were kind of smaller, let's say Samson was like five foot six, 152 pounds. And then he could do these colossal feats of strength. In fact, the, the Bible says there's this one time Samson gets mad. He rips the city gate out of its foundation points. The city gate, this massive gate wide enough that a wagon can go through, tall enough that a horse and rider can go through and then like thick enough so that it can keep the bad people out. Samson rips this off the foundation, puts it over his head and goes up a mountain. Now, if he's five, six, 152 pounds, you're gonna go, what is the, the secret of his great strength? What's your great strength? What is it about you that makes you strong in, in the eyes of others and, and in the eyes of God? I doubt it's the fact that you can bench more than 782 pounds, which by the way, is the world record right now for the most pounds someone lifted in a bench press. That's a lot of weight. I doubt your great strength is that you can run the mile faster than three minutes, like 42, 43 seconds. That's the, the fastest the mile's been ever run. That's it's really quick. I doubt that's your great strength, but I know what it is. It's anything. It's, it's absolutely anything you do in the name of God, 
in love for others. God says that is incredible strength. In fact, in Matthew chapter 10 and again in Matthew chapter 25, God says that even, even giving someone a drink, a, a cup of water is a, a feat of strength in the eyes of God. Now, the problem is the devil is just so good at trying to convince us that the small things we do don't count, don't matter. They're inconsequential. He gets us to fixate and to focus on, on someone like a Samson, this, this person that does huge things in the name of God. And we go, I could never be like that. This little thing of kindness that I constantly do to others, it's, it's so small, it doesn't matter, it's meaningless. And the devil's so good at convincing you of that lie. God says those acts of kindness are great strength and God can do great things through them. So God gives you this encouragement to continue on in those mighty acts that are small in the name of God to others in Galatians 6. He says this, he said, let us not become weary in doing good for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Friends, don't give up. Don't give up showing and shining the light of your faith in small ways out into the world. And, and you know that even the, the tiniest little bit of light scatters the darkness. And why does the devil want you to think that your small acts are meaningless? It's because he's scared of them. He's scared of what God can do through them. So shine that light of faith. Scatter the darkness of the devil. And just watch what God's going to do next. Throughout this series, we've been witnessing the power in the person named Samson in the Bible. He had great power and the Philistines were ticked off. They were mad about it. They're trying to figure out a way they could get rid of this guy finally and oppress the Israelite nation like, like they had before. In the last video, I gave you just a small little insight on how they figured out they might be able to do this. Through this woman who is in the life of Samson, her name was Delilah. So I gave you just the start of their proposal to Delilah, and I wanna go deeper into this. Now, as we see this, as we read this, I, I truly believe we're gonna find ourselves uniquely in this story. So the Philistine leaders go to Delilah and they say to him, see if you can lure him, Samson, into showing you the secret of his great strength. We talked about the, that in the last video. And how you can overpower him that we may tie him up and subdue him. Each one of us will give you 1,100 shekels of silver. Now, Delilah hears this, and at first you'd hope that she would go, well, there's no way. I'm not going to do that to Samson. She knows what it means that they're going to tie him up and subdue him, that they're going to capture him and torture him and eventually kill him. But then they put on the pressure, they give her what she really wants, and that's money. 1,100 shekels of silver from each one of them. Now, how much money is that? That's kind of the equivalent of three years of wages per Philistine leader. Now, we don't know how many of them were there and had their big fat wallets open, but clearly it was enough of a payday that Delilah is going to turn on Samson. So she goes up and she compromises herself. She goes up to Samson and puts on her best charm. Now, 
sweetie, my dear, my love. I'm kind of guessing she says these words seductively. And, and she goes, Samson, tell me. Uh, tell me how you can be subdued. Tell me how you can be, how you can be tied up. Now, Samson's wise enough to not really tell her. You and I, readers of the Bible, we know what it is. Samson's following those extra laws that God had on him. Uh, don't drink wine and don't cut your hair. But he doesn't tell that to Delilah. He says, well, if you tie me up, if you bind me with seven fresh bowstrings, think like bow and arrow, that string, seven fresh bowstrings, I'll be, I'll be as weak as any other man. So she ties him up, but then Delilah does her best act, acting job. Oh, no, Samson, the, the Philistines are upon you. They break in, and sure enough, Samson busts right through those and, and kicks the butts of the Philistines and gets them out of there. Delilah acts sad. Even though she was the one who started this and was lying to him, she acts all sad. You lied to me. Samson, tell me. And Samson says, well, Tie me up with seven or with uh, uh, fresh ropes, fresh ropes, new ropes, brand new ropes. And he breaks through that. Tie me up, put my hair into a, uh, a loom, like weave it into a loom and I'll be weak as anybody else. She tries that. He breaks free. Now, Delilah continues her sad, somber attack on Samson. And the Bible tells us that she wore him down, like his nagging he heard, the nagging he heard from her, it wore him down, he said, to the point of death, and he finally just relents and tells her everything. Samson compromised himself. And you know why? Do you know how? He was literally flirting with temptation. Samson had to know what Delilah was up to, but he started to rely on his own strength, and he was, he was tempting temptation. If there's something big that you take away from this video, this, this is what I really want you to hold on to, is that you and I do the same, that we tempt temptation. You and I know if I go and talk to this person over here, I might lose my temper, and we go and talk anyway, and we tempt temptation. If I talk to that person over there, I, and I, I know what they're going to want to talk about, we're probably going to gossip, and, but I'll be strong this time, and we tease at it, and we tempt temptation and we go on the internet and we're having thoughts we maybe shouldn't have and we're clicking around and we tempt temptation that we might fall into the sin that's there and, and you and I know what that is. I, I implore you, I, I cry out to you to have that be the phrase that you say, no, I'm, I'm not. I'm not going to tempt temptation. That's what Samson did and he lost. Delilah was told by Samson, you cut my hair, I'll be as weak as any other guy. She gets him to fall asleep. She cuts off all of his hair. She cries out, oh no, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. Samson wakes up and goes, I'll get rid of him like I did before. But his strength has left him because there's consequences to sin. And you and I know that when we tempt temptation and we fall into sin, there's consequences. There's consequences to those actions of the sins and the wrongs that we've done. Now, what's incredibly beautiful and comforting is the fact that God says, the Bible says, that even though the strength had left Samson, God didn't. And when you and I sin and we fail, although there's consequences to our sin, God doesn't leave you. 
and he loves you and he yearns for you and he calls out to you to draw you back to him. May these words from Psalm 145 give you peace and give you encouragement where you and I have failed, where God says the Lord is near. God's near to you. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. When you and I get true and real with God and go, God, I've failed and God, I've sinned and God, I, I need you. God, God's near to you. He loves you. Forgives you. Samson, when he was in bondage, his eyes got plucked out by the Philistines. He got put in a hard labor camp. But the Bible says God's still near him and his hair started to grow out. And he called out to God in truth, God, I need you. God, give me one, one more blast of supreme power that I can show these Philistines that you are true Lord and bring judgment upon them. And God granted that to him because God was near with him. And when you and I call out to God in truth, God, I failed you. He forgives you because he's near. He's near you. He's with you. Friends, I, I want you to see you as God sees you, as a forgiven, loved child of God. Have peace with God because God has peace with you.